on this episode of Startup the Science. Rubina Domet is a spin-off company of INL that focuses in the development of non-invasive monitoring of cancer progression with the development of microfluidic tools for the isolation of circulating tumor cells from the blood of cancer patients. Great to have you on Startup the Science today. We're very excited to finally have Ruby Nanaman featured on our podcast. Um, so tell me where you're joining us from today. Hi, so I'm actually joining from Spain. Um, we are working remotely at the moment. So this is where I'm based. Very nice. And for our listeners who might not uh, know Ruby Nanomed yet, can you give us a quick introduction to you and your company? Sure. So um, as you heard, my name is Lorena Diegez. I am currently the CEO of Ruby Nanomed. I've got a bit of a scientific background myself. I study physics in, uh, I think I graduated back in 2005. Then I did a PhD in the area of biosensors in Barcelona, in between the Institute of Bioengineering in Catalonia, as well as the University of Barcelona, and with a bit of work also done at the ETH in Zurich in, in Switzerland. Then I moved to a postdoc in, in Australia in the field of microfluidics for rare cell isolation and characterization. And then I moved uh, back to Europe in 2014 to start a position as a staff researcher at INL, which is the International Iberian Nanotechnology Laboratory, where I'm currently the head of the medical devices group. Uh, when it comes to Ruby, this is a spin-off company of INL, as you may have guessed. <laughs> and, um, and so it's um, a startup company in the field of uh, liquid biopsy. And our aim is to develop uh, very reliable monitoring tools for cancer progression monitoring. Well, that's certainly a very impressive background. And one of the joys of our job at INO, I think, is to meet uh, very talented entrepreneurs like you. So thank you for, for explaining to us. Yeah, everything you did before Ruby Nanomed. So tell us about Ruby Nanomed. What you already mentioned, it has to do with earlier stage diagnosis for, for cancer. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the technology? What exactly does it do? So what happens with cancer is that 90% of cancer-related deaths are due to metastasis. And the reason for this is that in 75% of cases, the treatment is non-effective. The reason for that is that the current tools for monitoring not give any um, molecular information on the tumor. Hence, uh, they cannot help the oncologist to guide patients' treatment. What we have done is we have developed a technology that is called the Ruby chip, which is a microfluidic system that is able to isolate circulating tumor cells from the blood of these, of these patients. The circulating tumor cells, or CTCs uh, for short, are actually live tumor cells that are shed from the tumor and that are the ultimate responsible of, of the metastatic lesion. So by capturing those cells and analyzing them, we are able to know in real time, let's say the evolution of the disease, and provide information to the oncologist to how to treat the patients better. What is the impact that this could have? How much earlier could we detect it or how much more could we improve the treatment? And maybe you can also tell us a little bit about what types of cancer could be could be treated, well, not treated, but could be diagnosed better with your technology. I've got to say that for now, we have been mostly working on a metastatic setting. And so we've been mainly working with a stage three and 
for patients. But uh, we have demonstrated in colorectal cancer patients, metastatic colorectal cancer patients, that we can detect progression six months to one year earlier than the than technologies that are available in the clinic. So this actually shows that during these six months to one year, we could actually have influenced the, the patient's, um, let's say, progression. We could have changed the patient's treatment and probably given them a better opportunity. We have uh, actually tested our technology in many different types of cancers. Uh, I mentioned colorectal already, but also uh, breast cancer, bladder cancer. We are recently doing some tests as well in prostate, melanoma, glioma. There's a few more, uh, esophageal lately, as well as gastric. But the, the most solid data that we have at the moment is indeed in colorectal, prostate and, and breast. When it comes to the stage, um, we did a few trials already to, to bring the technology to early stage uh, diagnosis as well. And uh, the results are promising. This is amazing. And I mean, how many people have been either directly impacted by, by cancer or know someone that has? And to, to say that you could speed up things by six months to, to a year when it comes to diagnosis and give them better treatment. It's it's quite incredible. So we've come across your technology a few years ago when Ruby Nanomed was part of our accelerator, part of Admacom, and then one Admacom as well. Can you um, tell us what has happened in the meantime, how far ahead you are in your development? Um, yeah, where has the company, what has the company been up to in the last two, three years? Well, certainly participating at Macom was a kickstart uh, for us. So not only we got, you know, fantastic feedback and, and you know, great learnings uh, from the participation in the acceleration program, but also the prize money also helped us to achieve a few milestones that are really difficult for an early stage startup. So this was back in, in 2018, if I recall right. And so ever since we have... Um, actually got several European projects. We have currently ongoing a European project that is called um, Persist. And another one is about to start now in April called BioSelfie. We are also participating in a public procurement of innovation uh, call from a, a government in Spain about translating the technology to the clinic. And we have won several awards here and there. For instance, at the end of last year, we participated in the elevator pitch uh, competition of the Hong Kong Science and Technology Park, where we also won the, the award for the health tech. So there's a lot going on. We have been scaling up uh, the fabrication of our chip. We have been developing an automated unit. Um, and we are almost ready to have the technology at the maturity stage where we can actually start the clinical trials. It's not yet there, but but we are starting to fill it with our fingertips. That's great to hear. And I know the, the path for an idea at MedTech to go from, from idea to actual product and make it into hospitals, clinics, and into um, patients' treatment is quite a long one. So it's not, uh, I just want to say for our listeners that maybe know a little bit less about this field, that it's not unusual for a startup after three years to, to be where you are. And in fact, you've achieved quite, quite a lot considering how difficult it is to enter this difficult space. So if we go back in time a few years ago when Rumi Nanomed started, can you tell me what the story behind the company is? I would imagine that there is a story because it is, uh, it's a startup that has a lot of impact, right? So what's, what's the story behind it? So let me start like way back. I think uh, when I was growing up already, I knew that I was passionate about technology, but about uh, medicine as well. So I, I decided that I wanted to be a medical doctor, but that 
didn't really happen. So um, I ended up choosing physics, which is absolutely related to it. <laughs> but uh, when I did my PhD, I actually did it in, in the field of biosensors. And I ended up developing my career nowadays on the development of technology to solve medical issues. So I kind of found my, my space. So I was always passionate about the developing technologies that could be used in the medical sector and more so to actually doing it. So actually making that translation. Um, it was very frustrating to me when we were working on, you know, from the scientific side on the development uh, of technologies, proof of concept, and then you publish the paper, you put it in a drawer and then start your next project. So it's often the case that when you work in science, most of the times the technology do not work or, you know, it does work, the efficiency is great, but it's too expensive, or, you know, it's it's uh, cheap and it's uh, reliable, but it's too complicated to handle. So, you know, you need to tick a lot of boxes for a given technology to be potentially interesting for the for the health healthcare sector. And when we came across this um you know, this technology, we, we had a, a project in our hands, we had developed a prototype, and we tested it in the clinic as we do. And it was just, it was just gobsmacking to see the results. We compared the technology against the gold standard, and we saw that the results were better. And we're like, oh, you know, uh, keep calm, let's do this again. And it kept working, you know, better and better. We have, uh, over the years, we are still surprised on how well the, the technology worked. Still, we were not, uh, let's say, finding the energy to, you know, to do the jump and create the company and so on. There was a, a member in the team back then called Silvina Sami that was instrumental. Uh, so she was very eager about, you know, a tech transfer and, and very motivated to work with industry and so on. And, and at the time, uh, I'm talking uh, end of 2016, there were a lot of programs available for support for innovation. And so we applied to one of these projects, of one of these programs with a project called Easy Biopsy back then. And this is how we were testing the idea. And eventually, um, you know, we got good feedback and we decided on, on, you know, embarking in this trip. But it was only, I think, in 2017 that we were looking for really incorporating the company. And uh, and we were looking for a, for a good name for the company, and um, it was it was important that it was not descriptive. So they told us that to be able to register the name, uh, the, the the name of the company could not be descriptive of the technology. And we were, you know, uh, very confused about how to name, uh, you know, a startup. It's like naming a chi a child. And uh, unfortunately, on those days in early. Um, it must have been um, yeah early 2018. My dear friend Ruby passed away from metastatic breast cancer, and uh, it was it was quite quite a shock. But it it happens all the time. This is this is what cancer does. Um, I'm sure you all have histories and stories in your family, unfortunately. And um, and he gave us the name for our company. Not much I can I can add to that for sure. Most people have have cases in their families, and I think the the satisfaction of working on it, right, trying to find at least a partial solution to this problem that affects millions and millions of people, is quite satisfying. One of the things that we also found um, 
really exciting about your company, apart from the technology and the impact that it can have, is your team and how you have so many incredible women in your team that are doing great work. And I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about uh, about who else is on this brave startup journey with you. So um, uh, Silvina, whom I spoke before about, uh, decided to leave for another endeavors. But in the meantime, uh, we gathered a fantastic team of, of women initially, as you said, and there are three co-founders. So Paulina Piairo, Sara Valdezela and myself. We, the three of us have a scientific background uh, in complementary areas. So we gather microfluidics and physics, um, nanotechnology and chemistry, and biology and oncobiology. So that's between the three of us, we are gathering kind of all the, tackling all the areas that are relevant for the development of, of this technology. Then uh, we complemented the team uh, with Enrique Sanchez. He's our, our chief business officer, and he has a long track record in the area of business in in vitro diagnosis. And he he came at the right time uh, to help us do you know the licensing agreement with the research laboratory where we spin uh, out from. And uh, recently, in 2020, we hired our first employee. For anybody with a spin-off company, this is a major major <laughs> breakthrough. So we, we have our first employee full-time, who is Liliana Pires. We knew her well from her time as a postdoc at, at INL, and she's complementing our team in a fantastic way. Uh, she's taking care of the quality and regulation. I didn't say before, Sarah is taking care of the um, uh, technical aspects. Uh, Pauline is taking care more on the operational things uh, related to clinical trials and so on. And, and Liliana is a senior scientist. So she works in the in the laboratory and certainly in quality and regulation so that we, we can develop our tests with the best standards. Oh, and most importantly, we are all very passionate about being able to make a difference for the patient. So, you know, bringing a startup up uh, from, you know, trying to cross these very scary valley of death. It's tough. It takes a lot of work. And more so when you do this uh, as a parallel work to, you know, other commitments, the prospect of eventually doing a tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny difference in, in perhaps uh, one patient or two, that makes all the difference to, to help you wake up in the morning and, and grab the job and, you know, and just continue working. Yeah, and keep motivated. But I'm, I mean... The good thing is that your technology, if successful, would make so much more than a tiny, teeny impact. <laughs> it would make a, quite a big impact. Before we get to the rest of this episode, we would like to take a moment to tell you a few words about one of our AdmaComp sponsors. AdmaComp stands for the Advanced Materials Competition, and it's our two-week accelerator program for startups in advanced materials. Berlin Partner for Business and Technology has graciously been an ongoing sponsor of the program for quite some time now. Berlin Partner's mission is to provide business and technology support for companies, investors, and scientific institutions in Berlin. With customized services and an excellent science and research network, Berlin Partner provides an outstanding range of programs to help companies launch, innovate, expand, and secure their economic future in Berlin. So if you're thinking of Berlin as your new HQ or the location of a subsidiary, reach out to Berlin Partner. They've got your back. Check them out at www.berlin-partner.de. And now back to our show. 
Most of your team came from academia, right? So they transitioned yourself as well, transitioned from an academic background or an academic career to what is the very complicated, challenging life of a startup in, uh, in med tech related to materials. So one thing is that it's it's very brave to take this jump, but I wonder what were some of the what were some of the things that surprised you in this transition? Did you come across anything that you really didn't expect? What's what's majorly different than uh, working in academia? Oh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> There's just only the technology is is similar in both worlds. It's I I have to say, it was surprising to discover how much we didn't know. But as, as academics, we are not educated in the market. We are not educated in business at all. Uh, we are not educated, not even in IP protection. So it's true that uh, there has been a huge uh, shift over the years. And I, I hope, uh, I trust that these things have changed and they are included in the curriculums of different you know, degrees and so on. Even from the European Commission, when we apply for funding as, as academics, they now put a major how can I say, a strength in the you know, potential impact of the technologies and, and you have to explain the impact that it would have in the market and you pretty much have to do a mini business plan. But yeah, like the first times that we participated in accelerators, it was a huge learning curve, uh, like I said, in the aspects of uh, IP, developing a business plan, even pitching. We, we do scientific presentations day in, day out, but it has nothing to do with pitching style. So we, we learned a, a great deal and we have had the best advisors uh, for that. You know, we are aware of the fact that we uh, come from a scientific background. So we try to surround ourselves with very good experts in the different areas, uh, in the um, stakeholders uh, that would be interested in our technology, as well as on the market side of things. And we've got advisors from the diagnostic sector, from the pharma sector. Uh, we have had, you know, participation in several acceleration programs, such as Inam. And we, we keep a good relationship with all our mentors that help us, um, you know, fill in those gaps. So there's an entire network of people that, that support a startup as it's spinning off from, from academia. Um, you know, there are different viewpoints on this that I've seen lately in different publications about... Um, what it takes for a spin-off to succeed, whether uh, the right approach for bringing new technology to market is through spin-offs from, from research institutes or, the, or whether research uh, institutes themselves are the ones who are supposed to be pushing that out. And one optimistic view we saw recently is that it is only startups that can take technologies to market fast when those technologies are really disruptive or really uh, new. And I, I really like that approach, uh, not just because we work with startups, but um, because it, it sounds to me, and also from the startups we've had on the podcast so far, that it has to be true, that you guys come up with these crazy, new, exciting technologies. And it has to be someone very passionate with a lot of energy and who really cares about it that also brings it to market. So that was a long way of saying that I'm very excited <laughs> you're doing it and that I think you should keep going, even though it might not uh, always be so easy. And because we're talking about things not always being so easy, what are some of the things that you're uh, maybe struggling with at the moment or that you would need support with? Are there particular kinds of partners, maybe investors that you're looking for that might be listening to our podcast? Yeah, I guess one of the major things is 
funding. There seems to be, you know, this value of death doesn't come out of nowhere. It has to do with the fact that, let's say, scientific-based funding brings you perhaps up to TRL 4 or 5, particularly when we talk about medical technologies. It brings you basically to the development of a proof of concept that is perhaps applied in the relevant sector. But that's it. And when you speak with uh, venture capital uh, funds and corporate ventures, they normally want a technology that is more mature, like pretty much uh, ready for clinical trials, if not already cert uh, certified. And so obviously there's a gap in between these two points. How to fund those late stage developments to be ready for a clinical trial? It's, it's, it's just, uh, um, it's just really complicated. I don't think there's a magic formula for that. It depends a lot on the sector. It depends even a lot on the geographical area where you operate. So, uh, particularly in Portugal, where our startup is based, there's not that many funds uh, to support those, let's say, development steps in the medtech uh, sector. So we are definitely looking for investors that are interested to come in this kind of medium, early stage, let's say. And uh, the technology is actually fully developed for the proof of concept. But now to do the clinical trial, we need to redo everything again, following the regulatory standards. So, you know, there are several ISOs that one needs to fulfill. Also, we have changed from the in vitro diagnosis directive into the in vitro diagnosis regulation, and we have to go through notified bodies and so on. And so we need to fabricate not only the chip itself, but also the automated unit that comes with it, you know, following these regulatory standards. And that, that is a huge investment. And that's what we are trying to, to achieve now before we are able to do the registered clinical trials and, and bring our, our technology to the, to the clinical market. And when you say you have to redo everything, does this mean you start from scratch, you build a whole new prototype or do you build on top of what you already have? How does this work? Well, you do build on top of what you already have, but I can give you a small example. So, you know, for anybody working microfluidics, the gold standard material to work in the in the lab, in a scientific lab, is PDMS, polydimethylsiloxane. And this this is, you know, this is a, a super common material to do fast prototyping. It's very easy to handle and so on. And the prototype that we had with which we did all the tests, all the clinical, you know, preclinical validation and clinical assays up to now was with this PDMS chip. Now, to be able to do a registered clinical trial and to have a chip that is certified for in vitro diagnosis, we need to change the material and the fabrication protocol. So we have been looking for several subcontractors that are really good in the area of microfluidics and advanced manufacturing. And uh, we know what material we want to work with, and we have done a few feasibility studies. But the geometry of the chip needs to change from what it was initially um, done because the, the properties of the materials are different and so on and so forth. So you do not need to start from scratch, but you need to do a full development all over again. Yeah, you need to adapt quite significantly. Yeah, yeah. All these, uh, I don't want to say little things because they're quite big things that maybe people outside of your direct field are not not aware of, right? Quite quite a lot of steps for medical technology to be brought to market. In your more optimistic uh, scenarios, how much more time do you think is needed until we can see the Ruby Nanomed technology in hospital and clinics until it's used at scale in cancer treatment? Well, we'd like to think that provided that we had the necessary funds, we would be able to finish the, the development. So to have the technology ready for clinical trials within the year, still in 2021. 
and so that we could start the clinical trials in 2022 and one year would be enough. So we could have the technology in the clinic by 2023. And we already have uh, good partnerships with key opinion leaders in the in the area that would be the first buyers, the early adopters of the technology since you know we have been um, doing all these preclinical tests with very well-known uh, oncologists in, in reference hospitals. So they would be eager to buy the technology and have it available, not only to do some research, um, but also to take therapeutic decisions on their patients. That's amazing. That's not as many years as I as I thought. Um, do you think that the current situation with um, you know living in a pandemic, that has driven investment from biotech um, quite a bit last year. Do you think that will impact, hopefully, Rubinanomed in, in a positive way, that it will be a little bit easier to open the minds of investors um, that might maybe not have looked towards this type of technologies in the past? Well, I certainly hope so. <laughs> During 2020, it has been really complicated. So there was nothing happening really on the investment side unless you had a, this great technology for coronavirus detection. But it has certainly changed a, a little bit the paradigm. So in the last few years, ever since Theranos, the venture capital companies were not very uh, fans of investing in medtech and, and diagnosis. There was this huge disbelief on betting for these type of companies, and the risk is certainly huge. So most venture capital uh, firms that were working in the area of health were only supporting projects in pharma. And uh, and indeed, during the pandemics last year and this year, there has been a shift and, and now there's more uh, interest in, in, in in vitro diagnosis. So we hope that turns in our favor. I certainly hope so. And at Inam, we'll be doing our best to push that with the investors we, we work with as well. As we're closely coming towards the end of our interview, I wanted to ask you if you have any wish for Ruby Nanomed, if there's one thing you could wish for that would happen within the next three months, let's say, what would that be? Well, I hate to say this, but it would be money. <laughs> so we have we have been applying for, for several funds, so competitive funding um, grants that are supposed to complement private funding. Uh, we are also talking with several investors. We, we are even negotiating a possible um, exit. So whatever it is to help us bring the technology forward, in the fastest way possible so that we can put it to the service of patients. That's our objective. So if we are, you know, within the year able to close any of these deals, that would be very satisfactory. Well, we keep our fingers crossed for at least one of those to come true. Thank you so much for being with us today, Lorena, and say hi to the team for us. And we're looking forward to seeing you soon, either in Portugal or in Berlin. It would be a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you'd like to learn more about our podcast, head to www.enum.berlin slash Startup the Science. You can also follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to leave us a message or ask us or our guests any questions, send us a DM or leave us a message on our website. We would love to hear from you. Stay tuned for our next episode. Coming soon.